For decades, people have used a specific statement to describe difficult times in life. And you've probably heard this statement before, but it goes like this. You are either coming out of a storm, you are in the middle of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. And I don't know this morning which one of those categories you would fall into. Maybe you're like me and you just came out of a difficult time or a storm. Maybe where you sit this morning, you're walking through a crisis. And right now, you're in the middle of a storm. Or maybe for you, there's some stuff that's coming this week that you don't yet know about, but you're about to enter into a storm. All of us are familiar with the storms of life. And because of that, there's one common denominator, one thing that everybody in the room can relate with today. And that's pain. You see, we all can't relate with wealth because we all don't have wealth. We all can't relate with solid relationships because we all don't have solid relationships. We all can't relate with a great childhood or a nice car or a nice home or a certain passion or hobby because all of us don't have all those things. But every person in the room this morning knows what it is to struggle. You know what it is to hurt. You know what it is to feel sorrow and to walk through a difficult time. And this month at Hope, we're talking about how to do that in a way that honors God. And we're learning from the life of a man named Daniel. Daniel was no stranger to difficult times. And if we had to take Daniel's whole life and boil it down to one succinct headline, here would be the headline, faith in difficult times. And each week in this four-part series, we're looking at a story from the Old Testament book of Daniel. The first week of this series, the first story we looked at was about Daniel and his three friends. And they were commanded to forsake their heritage and conform to a pagan lifestyle and culture. But as we saw in week one, God honored their faith and protected them even in the midst of a very difficult decision. And then last week, in week two of this series, we looked at Daniel's three friends specifically. They were commanded to bow down and worship a large golden idol of the king. And they refused. And we got to see God honor their faith as they were thrown into a fiery furnace to be burned alive. God protected them and brought them out healthy and okay. Well, this week, we're going to look at another story. And this week's story is really special. This week's story involves Daniel, a king we're going to read about in a moment named Belshazzar. And this week's story involves God speaking in a very, very unique way. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, would you open it to Daniel chapter 5? And in just a moment, we're going to process through another story this morning. 
from the, the Old Testament book of Daniel. Now last week we were in Daniel chapter 3. And since Daniel chapter 3, a lot has happened. About 20 years have gone by. And Daniel is now 82 years old. It's been 70 years since he was taken captive out of Judah and brought to Babylon. And at this point in his life, Daniel is no longer a prominent, influential figure in the nation of Babylon. You see, the king that we've studied the past few weeks, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has died. And when he passed away, all of the servants in his palace were, were sent out and sent to live in obscurity. So there's been a succession in the kingdom. And the king we're about to read about is a, a king named Belshazzar. And he is the second in command, and scholars tell us that he was King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. So if you have a Bible, look in Daniel chapter 5. And chapter 5 opens up by telling us about a party. King Belshazzar is throwing a party in the palace, and it is a pagan party. The Bible says in the opening part of Daniel chapter 5 that they actually took some of the cups that were found in the temple of God in Judah they had stolen. And at this party, some of the people there are drinking wine out of those sacred, sacred cups. But not only that, they're, they're worshiping idols. The Bible says that there was idol worship happening all throughout this party with thousands of people right there in the palace. And in the midst of this sinful, pagan feast and party, God speaks. So look with me in Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Just in case you didn't know, that is not natural. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, I would say so. And his thoughts alarmed him. And his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. In other words, the king was losing it because a hand was writing on the wall. Verse 7. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and the nobles were perplexed. So you get the, the scene of this week's story from Daniel chapter 5. Huge party, paganism, sin is taking place, and a hand appears... And begins writing on the wall. Well, as everyone is standing there, probably with their jaws on the floor, the Bible goes on to say that the queen walked in. 
And most scholars believe this queen was King Belshazzar's grandmother, the wife of King Nebuchadnezzar. And she sees that no one in the room understands the writing on the wall. So she says, there was a man who served King Nebuchadnezzar. And every time we had a difficult problem, this man had wisdom and insight. He was anointed and a man of God. His name was Daniel. King, I think we should find Daniel and bring him here to see if he can help us understand what this inscription actually says. So the king agreed. So they brought in Daniel. And the king says to Daniel, I've heard about you. You you serve my grandfather well. I know that you're a man in which the spirit of the gods lives in. And he says, here's what I'll do for you, Daniel. If you will interpret the writing on the wall, I will make you the third in command in all of Babylon. I'll give you a robe and I'll give you a gold necklace. And then Daniel responds to the king after that offer. So look in your Bible, Daniel chapter 5, verse 17. Here is Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father or grandfather, because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him, whomever he wished he killed and whomever he wished he spared alive and whomever he wished he elevated and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, And his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly. He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. That's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says in verse 22, yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him. And this inscription was written out. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uparsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. 
Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And with verse 30 and 31, this dominant empire called Babylon came collapsing down. Now here's what's interesting about this week's story. What's interesting is that Daniel is not necessarily the one who is caught in a difficult time. Now, he walked into a pretty tense room, but Daniel was not the one in this situation who was walking through a difficult time. And I'm sure you can relate. There are times in your life when the difficult time you're a part of is not your difficult time. Because of a relationship, because of an opportunity, you can be invited into someone else's difficult time in order to help. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with as we look at this text this morning. How do I help others who are walking through a crisis? All of us can relate with being invited into some crisis and not really knowing what to do. What are the principles in this story that we can pull out this morning to understand how we help others who are walking through a difficult time. Well, one of the things that's very fascinating is that Daniel would even be invited into this circumstance in the first place. He's 82 years old. He's retired. He's not been in the palace for a long time. What is it about Daniel that made his name come up whenever a crisis arose in the kingdom? Well, I want to start by giving you an application statement, and then I want us to look at two characteristics of a godly person who is invited to help during a crisis. Here's the application statement I want us to unpack for a few moments this morning. Trusting God in my crisis allows me to help others through their crisis. Trusting God in my crisis allows me to help others through their crisis. We've been talking for the past few weeks about the personal storms, the personal tough times that you're walking through. As you've thought about those, both past and present, can you honestly say today that through those times, you continued to trust God? The word trust is a word that we throw around quite a bit. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, the word trust means to have confidence, faith, or hope in someone or something. It means reliance on the strength or ability of a person or thing. And this morning, as we think about trusting God, I want to give you a biblical definition of trust. Here it is. To depend with confidence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God for everything in my life. I want us to read that out loud together this morning off the screen on three. One, two, three. 
to depend with confidence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God for everything in my life. I want to ask you again, as you think about the difficult days you've walked through, both past and present, have you trusted God? Have you remained confident on his strength, on his character, on his ability, and on his truth? In my life, some of the major storms I've walked through have been cancer and a miscarriage that my wife had, losing a loved one, either because of a severed relationship or because they left earth and entered into eternity. And I'm thankful that in all those moments, even though I asked some really, really hard questions and it was hard, I continued to trust God. And that was the case for Daniel as well. Regardless of the circumstance we see him in throughout the book of Daniel, he continued to have confidence on the character, strength, ability, and truth of his heavenly father. So much so that after he'd retired from the kingdom, when a crisis arose, he's invited in. Why is that? Because of the way he trusted God during his personal storms. He was invited in to help others when they walk through their storms. Here's how that applies to us. When we remain faithful through the storms of life, it creates opportunities for us to help others as they walk through difficult times. That's why trusting God in the midst of your crisis is so important. Maybe you're here today and you're about to give up. You're just on the brink of saying, forget it all. Don't give up. If you continue to trust God in the midst of your crisis, later on down the road, you're going to be able to help others as they walk through their crisis. The Bible says that after the hand finished writing on the wall, and I don't even know what that looked like, but the queen said, Look, nobody knows what to do. You should call on Daniel. And I love what the Bible says here in verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 5. It says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, I love this, Are you that Daniel? Who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah. Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. There are a couple of really powerful phrases in these verses. He says, are you that Daniel? You see, Daniel had a reputation of being a man of faith who had been used by God in difficult circumstances. He was that Daniel. And then the king says, I have heard about you. Here's the point. He did not hear about what Daniel said. He heard about what Daniel did. I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. And here's what I know. Your lifestyle, your lifestyle of faith will say more to the world than anything that ever comes out of your mouth. 
You see, what was so impressive to these people about Daniel was not the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. It was the fact that they had seen God use him in some very difficult situations. And because Daniel trusted God in his personal storms, he was able to help others to walk through their storms. There are certain things about every person that leave a lasting impression. And it's not a real long list, but there are numerous things. One of those things is attitude. The way you view life and the way you treat people leaves a lasting impression. But something else that leaves a lasting impression is our response to tragedy. No one wants to know what life is like when things are good. They want to know what we do when we walk through a struggle. Let me give you an example. This Thursday will mark one year since our entire campus was flooded due to some heavy rain here in our part of the city. Some of you may remember that, some of you may not remember that. To me, it was like it was yesterday. I was standing right there with water up to my ankles. And in that moment, the news cameras started showing up and people from the neighborhood started flooding the campus. One, to help, but another just to see what was going on. I believe they wanted to see our response to the tragedy. We were able to process through that and hundreds of people from our church showed up with brooms and squeegees to get all the water out of the building and to help clean off the campus. And from that point, I can't tell you the number of people who have talked to me and said, oh, you go to that church. The church that flooded and everybody who goes there showed up to serve. I said, yeah, that's my church. Here's the reality. Nobody showed up for the grand opening when we cut the ribbon, but everybody showed up when the place flooded. The way that we respond to tragedy, the way that we respond to difficult times is so important. And Daniel is an example that if we respond to difficult times in the right way, it will create a platform from which we can have opportunities to speak into the lives of people. There will be believers and non-believers in your life who watch you walk through a tragedy. And based off the way you respond, they may choose to invite you into their life when you walk through a tragedy. Your response in the past may be exactly what God wants to use to speak to someone else when they're walking through a crisis. So let me ask you this evaluation question about your life. Do people come to you for help when they are facing a crisis? In other words, are you that person? The person in your circle of influence that they know, whether it's a good day or a bad day, you're someone who trusts God and they can come to you in the midst of their crisis. You see, what you learn when you go through a difficult time is not just for you. It's for other people as well. Some of the things you've learned, some of the things that God has taught you through the midst of the storm can be leveraged as you're given an opportunity to speak into the lives of others. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what, nobody's really asking me. Nobody's really inviting me in during a crisis to help or to serve. Well, I believe that's a reflection on the way you've been trusting God in the midst of your personal crisis. 
Because as we see from the life of Daniel, trusting God in my crisis allows me to help others through their crisis. I wanna give you a couple of just applications today. So I wanna share two characteristics of a godly person who's invited into a crisis. This week, someone may call you and say, I need help. And you find yourself in the middle of a crisis. What are the things that should be a priority for you if you're really seeking to help others? Here's the first characteristic. They speak the truth. When a godly person is invited into a crisis, one of their priorities is that they speak the truth. I love Daniel's response to the king in verse 17. It says, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. In essence, Daniel says, Listen, your gifts don't matter. What matters is what's on that wall. Because that's the truth of God given to every person in this room. That was Daniel's priority. And as you move into moments of crisis where you seek to help, speaking the truth must be a priority. And here's why. Because only the truth sets people free. Only the truth sets people free. In the midst of chaos and emotion of a situation that is in crisis, there is no substitute for the truth of God. Believe it or not, what people need in a moment of crisis is not your opinion. They need to know there is a God who cares, there is a God who is in control, and there is a God who is building a kingdom that will never be shaken. I love what the Bible says in John chapter 8. It says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus is telling us, if we want to see people set free, if we want to be free people, we will never experience that apart from the truth. So let me ask you a question. When people come to you during a crisis, do you point them to God? When you walk into a crisis, when people come to you, are you someone who wants to shine light on what you think? Or are you someone who wants to shine light on your heavenly Father? When they come to you during a moment of crisis, do you point them to him? Because one characteristic of a godly person who's invited into a crisis is that they speak the truth. We see it in the life of Daniel, and we could probably list example after example across the room that you are standing on the truth of God when you've been invited in to help during a crisis. Here's a second characteristic of a godly person who's invited into a crisis. They demonstrate grace. This week in our teaching team, we, we kind of had a holy moment. Um, 
We were just reading over the scriptures, praying over the scriptures, discussing the scriptures. And we begin to see just how much of God's gracious pursuit of humanity is in this passage. Let me tell you what I mean. In verses 22 to 23, here are some of the things that Daniel says about the king, Belshazzar. He says, you have not humbled your heart. You have exalted yourself. You have praised others, other so-called gods, and the God in whose hand is your life breath, you have not glorified. I would imagine what he said to the king was true for the other thousand people who were in the room. And automatically, when I read those things in those verses about the king, here's what I think. Him nor his palace did not, be, did not deserve to be pursued by God. There was no one in this palace who deserved to be pursued by God. They did not deserve his time, his attention, nor his love. But then here's the part that's so convicting. Neither do I. And honestly, neither do you. What should have happened in this story is that God just wipes out the kingdom. There's no hand, there's no messenger in Daniel. There's no second opportunity. I mean, they're doing some pretty awful stuff at this party. They should have just been wiped out. God should not have given them a second thought. But in his grace, he chose to give them multiple messages to show his pursuit of them. And as we read this story in 2013, we have to read it from the context of the cross. You see, we're on the other side of the cross, so we know that even throughout history, God has had a plan of redemption through which he is seeking to redeem the human race. Here's why demonstrating grace is so important for you and for me as we walk into a crisis. Because God graciously pursues us even when we are not pursuing him. You know, the Bible says what happens to the king. He died that night. But what we don't know is what happened to the other thousands of people that were in the room. They saw the handwriting on the wall. They saw Daniel's message. They saw the kingdom that they thought could never be destroyed fall down and collapse forever. Even in that moment, God was pursuing them even though they were not pursuing him. You see, God pursues us because he loves us, not because we deserve it. There's a passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians that really is just humbling to read and to, and to process, but it's in Ephesians chapter 2, and here's what the Bible says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Meaning, we did not deserve to be pursued. Verse 4, 
But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God graciously pursues us even when we are not pursuing him. Let me ask you a question. Are you as gracious with others as God is with you? When you're invited into a crisis, are you as gracious with others as God is with you? I really struggle with that. But one of the things that God has just taught me is there's nothing that someone will do to me that I haven't done a hundred times to Jesus. I know across this room, there are probably a lot of stories of stuff you might be right in the middle of. It's not your difficult time, but you've been invited into it. And maybe one of the reasons that you're in it is because you have been faithful in your personal storms. And now you have a platform to help others walk through their storms. As you walk through that, let me encourage you. Speak the truth. Stand upon the foundational truth of Scripture in the midst of all the moving parts and all the chaos and demonstrate grace. There may be some people you need to cry with, people you need to pray with, people you need to walk with even though it's difficult. As we prepare to respond to the word today, there are really two groups of people here. There are some of us who need to give grace and truth. You're walking through a circumstance right now and you know the next thing you need to give energy to is giving truth and grace to the people that you're walking with. And if that's you, let me encourage you to demonstrate the same patience and wisdom and love and compassion to those people that God has demonstrated to you and just walk with them. I pray that God would use you because of what he's taught you in the past to speak to them in the midst of their storm. And in just a moment, when we stand to respond, you may want to go to somebody in this room that you know is struggling and just pray for them. Maybe you know somebody's walking through a storm and you want to walk over and just pray the truth of Scripture over them and demonstrate grace in their life. Maybe you want to come forward and just get on this altar and just pray for them, intercede on their behalf. We had numerous people do that in the last service. But maybe you're not in that group. Maybe you're not someone who needs to give truth and grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to receive truth and grace. You realize this morning that just as God pursued these Babylonians, that he's pursuing you. He's pursued you through his son. He's pursued you through the cross. He's pursued you by bringing you to this service today. 
Maybe you've had a knowledge of God your whole life, but you've never had a moment when you confess your sin before him, acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and invited him to save you and forgive you of your sins for eternity. When we stand up in just a moment, we're going to have some of our pastors here at the front. We would love to share with you how you can be saved and how you can come into a relationship with God.